Chaos reigns, and that means that Nick Saban is out of the playoffs. A lot to discuss this week, and we'll get to it on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. As always, it is Matty Ice, your host, and the coach returns from South Bend. How you doing, buddy? Welcome back. Doing great, Iceman. Happy to be back. It was a wonderful weekend in South Bend, which we will get into shortly. I think there are a lot of fun stories from the weekend of football and even, you know, the World Series wrapped up over the weekend as well. And, you know, I get excited. You know, I get excited to maybe start getting the shovels out to bury a few of these careers. And I think there's a couple notable ones uh, right now. Oh, we're getting really close to burying quite a few individuals as these weeks roll by. It's not even Thanksgiving yet, and we are already going to bury somebody. But I think there's a lot of people coming across here. Jimbo's got to be feeling it a little bit right now because the three and six Texas A&M Aggies, that's not great. No, that's not good at all. I'm surprised he's hanging on. I imagine maybe it's a buyout situation. Who knows? But in Texas, money is usually not an issue. So I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't just pulled the plug on that deal. But a few of the people I have in mind that we'll get into later, maybe a little more high profile that you wouldn't expect. So uh, I'm pumped about that. Speaking of Jimbo, I saw a video of the game that Jameis Winston was suspended for, but didn't realize he couldn't be at, and he still suited up for the game, and they had to come tap him on the shoulder and tell him, no, man, you can't actually be here. Jimbo was looking a lot slimmer back then. I think the stresses of being in the SEC have gotten to him, unlike somebody else who is brand new in the SEC this year, your boy, Brian Kelly. Yeah, uh, BK gets it done, and you got to admire the stones, right? To go for two in overtime against Alabama at home. Usually, usually the old moniker is you go for uh, go for the win on the road and go for the tie at home, hoping that home field advantage will ultimately prevail. But I got to give Brian credit, and uh, we'll see how they do. You know, coming off a big win, uh, taking on Arkansas this week, and that's just that's just part of the chaos that took place. But I want to start in South Bend because part of the chaos that started was the fifth ranked Clemson Tigers traveled to old South Bend and the Fighting Irish were there lurking about they've been playing well you and I both picked them in crunch time last week and boy they delivered in spades we went live to you on Saturday which is not a day we normally record anything so I want to ask you how the rest of the weekend took place how the game was I heard that it was a little bit a little bit raucous there after the game it was fantastic it was one of the if not the one of the best sports environments that I've ever been and uh, it's definitely been my most exciting Notre Dame football experience. I've been to several other games, one of which is when uh, Daniel Jones and the Duke Blue Devils knocked off the Irish at home. This game, everyone stood the entire time. I think we would sit here and there, you know, for like a timeout or between quarters, but everyone was standing the entire time, which is not like we talked about last week. It's not something that Notre Dame Stadium is necessarily known for, but I think that having the young coach, Marcus Freeman, and the energy that he brings, you can feel there's sort of a shift in the excitement and the swagger that the team has. Uh, the experience was just amazing. And one thing that I really enjoy about it is, yes, you have a few bad apples in the bunch, but it, it seems like Notre Dame fans, especially for as much crap as they get nationally, they're very friendly. There were a ton of Clemson fans, and I did not see one single incident of a Notre Dame fan treating a Clemson fan poorly and even you know there were moments where they'd walk down the aisle past me to leave and I almost had to bite my tongue just because you want to say something kind of smart ass you know or whatever uh but it, it's just I don't know I, I think that there's just a common respect there and, and I've really experienced that at every game I've been to in Notre Dame but the, the game was fantastic the wind died down and it was just a beautiful a beautiful Midwest evening for football and Notre Dame took it to him right from the get-go and 35 to 14 doesn't even explain uh it wasn't even that close the 14 came fairly late and the Irish managed to score not just 21 points on offense but they scored uh, on defense with a pick six they blocked a punt to get things started early in the first quarter and returned it for a touchdown um you know the fans stormed the field after the game which i did not necessarily expect uh i would have maybe been more on board with that had it been like a, a last second win or something and everyone was just juiced up but it was sort of a foregone conclusion for a while that notre dame was going to win that game and 
I kind of thought that the knowing that it would have sort of tamped down some of the uh, antics, but it, it really was, it was a pretty, I hate saying this, it was a pretty un, uninspiring uh, storming of the field. You know, it didn't seem super crazy when you were there, but I did see an image and I don't know if you saw this of, uh, I don't know, maybe a 14 year old boy standing on the field in a Notre Dame jersey as a Clemson lineman who has to be 300 plus pounds walks by and this boy is just giving him the double birds. <laughs> And so this totally contradicts, right? Everything I've said up to this point about how Notre Dame fans treated Clemson, but just that one little depiction, you know, the picture, if I find it, I'll send it to you, but it was just fantastic. I mean, that sounds wonderful. That sounds like the time that LSU came to town. Have I ever told you this story? You have not. This is my sophomore year of college, 2002. That tells you how much tech has fallen off. LSU came to Blacksburg. We had a little home and home series with them at some point. I think it was 2002 and then maybe 2007. But in 2002, they brought 17,000 fans to Blacksburg, which is a lot. If you think about Lane Stadium's capacity at the time was like 65,000, 17,000 is quite a bit. And obviously SEC teams travel really well. So downtown Blacksburg, it's a very small area. There is one street, ironically named Main Street. And on one side, there was Virginia Tech fans. On the other side, there were LSU fans. And they were just jawing back and forth to each other, waiting for something. It was a powder keg. And that powder keg came in the form of the Hokie Bird mascot in the back of a pickup truck coming down the road, giving the double bird of the LSU fans and a riot broke out. It was bonkers. Yeah, that sounds absolutely crazy. Most, you know, I sat down at a restaurant in sort of a little downtown area near the stadium in South Bend. You know, we, me and my dad sat outside and, you know, had a couple of drinks and eating a little lunch. And yeah, there's Clemson fans walking by. And, um, you know, I see Notre Dame fans, you know, all they said was, hey, welcome to South Bend. Glad to have you here. <laughs> it was just oddly friendly and maybe it's just that midwest charm i'm not sure but uh there yeah there were no uh double birds other than the one we already talked about it was all very friendly interactions but it, as much as i like to see that from a, a sportsmanship and respect standpoint i'm totally here for some petty shit talking all day long i was gonna say it's gotta piss you off that they're so nice and it's like come on just give me something i need something to work with here yeah i mean I'm, honestly that's probably what kept me in line not that i'm like some crazy degenerate fan but if there would have been other people around me that were getting a little chippy uh i would have jumped right in for sure but i'm like you know i'm not going to be the one asshole um out of everyone else uh, i wouldn't feel too good about that so i just kept my mouth shut and they'd be like you don't even go here so you'd be that guy yeah i can barely spell notre dame there you go so that was the first thing and that's the first thing on our list but it's a it's a one one piece of the giant puzzle. So I think the game of the weekend was, of course, Georgia and Tennessee. Now, coming into the game, Tennessee was the number one ranked team in the college football playoff. Georgia was number three. You were on board with Tennessee being at number one. And I told you that I felt that Georgia was getting a little bit of disrespect that they would have gotten the nod as the champs. I'm pretty sure they either listened to the episode or they took that ranking personally. Tennessee was never really in this football game. If you go back and look at the final score, it is not indicative of just how much of a beatdown Georgia gave them to the point that apparently during the week somehow students got hold of Stetson Bennett's telephone number and Tennessee fans were calling him up calling him up after he had that first touchdown he gave the old ear and the pinky thing and said yeah call me up now so Georgia unequivocally showed their dominance and they have come in at number one in the current polls this week not to spoil it for anybody were you surprised at how dominant Georgia was or should this have been something we expected all along I know I chose him number one. Not surprised, though. It does seem like Kirby Smart has a little bit of that Nick Saban magic of being able to get his team up to play the big games that matter. Obviously, Mr. Saban's lost a little bit of that here recently. But, you know, over time, he always had a way to get his team ready to play in big games. And it seems that Kirby Smart has that gift. I mean, obviously, they've had a couple of games against lesser opponents where they did not look as impressive. But all that matters is winning when it really matters. And, and they did that convincingly on Saturday against Tennessee. Now, I think Tennessee will be okay, ultimately. But just like you said, Georgia really established themselves as uh, the top dog. They obviously listened to the episode because where were they ranked last week? Do you remember? Number three. Three. Yeah. Most Georgia students can't count, can't count higher than two. So they probably didn't even realize where they were uh, ranked at. But um, so they they got all their uh, firepower from the episode, obviously. Now, unlike the Notre Dame game, which really did more to expose Clemson than it did to tell us about Notre Dame's talent level, because I think Notre Dame is probably where they should be. We both thought they maybe 
had a little bit of a nod being number five preseason. They had a little bit of a struggle to the season. But coming into this game, Georgia was seen as a team that while they were the defending national champions, those games that they didn't look all that impressive had, I think, fooled a lot of pundits into thinking that they weren't still an excellent and great football team. And I really feel as if they, they really took that personally. And Kirby Smart really couldn't beat a lot of those other teams and get over that hump. Georgia always had that, that, that narrative about them that they could never win the big game. And I think all of that has shifted. And I think this game told us less about Tennessee because I think Tennessee is still an excellent football team and probably a top six or seven team in the country. But I think what it did is confirm that Georgia's here, folks, and they're not going to be fucking around. No, you're right. I mean, and the door is open, right? Because look at some of these dynasties in the last 10 or so years that are faltering. Alabama, Clemson, uh, the door is open for uh, uh, there to be a new sheriff in town and the Georgia Bulldogs are in perfect position. And I'll tell you what, the chaos reigned even more. You alluded to it earlier. Brian Kelly, who I think we had for dead and made fun of after they lost to Florida State. I have to give him all the credit in the world. Coming into this week, though, they had a tough challenge. They had Alabama. And boy, that game lived up to the hype in so many different ways. But as you talked about earlier, going for two when the game mattered, I have to give Brian Kelly credit. If you're going to beat Saban in the SEC, you got to have the balls to do something like that. And they executed. They win the game. And really, that is throwing the entire playoff in chaos because you have them now in Georgia in the SEC title game. No matter what happens, that's already clinched. And as you asked me offline, what the hell happens if LSU beats Georgia in the SEC title game? Could you ever possibly leave out the SEC champion? No, absolutely not. I mean, so it's almost a rhetorical question, I think, when you think about it with the way things are right now and with the the respect that's put on the SEC um, as a whole. Whoever wins that conference is going to be in the playoff. Now, of course, you know, we're still weeks away from even knowing what that game is going to be, what that matchup is going to be. But there's a good chance it's going to be Georgia versus LSU or Ole Miss, which creates an interesting matchup because what if one of those teams gets it rolling and is able to to win that game you're gonna have to put them in the playoff and then i think naturally then georgia would still get in so you'd end up with two sec teams but one of those two teams getting into the title game and georgia winning almost guarantees you not guarantees but is almost a way to one single sec team which we haven't really seen i don't know have we seen that in the playoff era i'm sure that we have but it, it hasn't been in recent memory because it feels like a foregone conclusion that there has been two alabama has been a staple in the playoff i think almost every year but one and i think that one year might have been lsu i can't really remember but you're right now the other thing that all this chaos does and nick saban is 100 to blame for this because he lost it has opened the door for some of these other conferences now i want to ask you two questions First of all, obviously the way that things play out, if Georgia ends up running the table, winning the SEC, is it possible that Clemson losing, Alabama losing, it really opens the door for the Pac-12 or the Big 12 champion? Right now, that's TCU who's sitting at number four undefeated. Now they still have, what, four or five games to go, but it is very much a possibility that they could be sitting there undefeated and as a conference champion. There's no way that the committee could leave them out. No, I agree. Undefeated TCU, that's the Big 12 champ, is in. Undefeated USC, that's a Pac-12 champ is in uh both of those i think are foregone conclusions now that's going to be bad news in this scenario for whoever loses the michigan ohio state game i think but yeah i on the same token you know those two teams control their own destinies tcu and usc at this point but a loss by either one of them opens up all sorts of crazy scenarios that could be possible i always love it when you do this usc already has a loss so they cannot be an undefeated usc Damn team it. headed into the you playoff. know what i thought they did but then i oh, i knew it man i thought that they did and then i swear that i heard someone else talking about it referring to them as undefeated and i'm like well shit maybe they're undefeated um but did they lose to utah yes they did actually that was the game that they lost on the road 43 42 it was a barn burner yes that's it for some reason because i was uh all over usc on that game and my my dad was like oh utah's different at home and i'm like it's fucking utah but I, that's probably the only reason utah still ranks home. yeah and probably joe girardi will be their coach next year but uh I hope so. the other question that i have for you is michigan and ohio state are i think two and three from the big ten and we know that the big ten has never had two teams in but obviously if both of those teams go running the table to their game i mean is it possible that both teams could get in is, is there ever a scenario in which two big 10 teams could get in or is the sec really the only conference that has afforded that type of currency in the playoff because of just how difficult that conference is I think this is the first year where it's really a possibility. If TCU gets beat, um, so you're not going to have an undefeated Big 12 champ at that point. 
And let's say that I think one loss USC that's a Pac-12 champ would get in over, you know, Michigan or Ohio State, whoever loses that game, probably just from a brand bias standpoint. And obviously Michigan, Ohio State are great brands too. But if you can pull in the West Coast and USC, I think that helps. But if, you know, Notre Dame is going to beat USC here in a few weeks. So USC is going to have two losses. And so that guess maybe brings Oregon, one loss Oregon into the equation or something like that. But if there's chaos in the Pac-12 and the Michigan Ohio State game is really close. I, I think there's a really good chance this year, more so than there's ever been, that they both get in. But if ever there was a year that would constitute we need a larger playoff, all of that is happening this year. This is all telling us what we said in our realignment that we need more teams in the playoff because right now, to me, there is only really one or two clearly best teams in the country. And there's a lot of teams that are kind of sitting around there in the top eight that really should have a chance. I'm not saying that it should be expanded so that a two loss Alabama could make it in. But there are these other teams we talked about, like undefeated USC and Oregon and all these teams that are going to have great records, maybe even a conference championship, but they might not necessarily make it in. I mean, Michigan, if they lose to Ohio State, does that make them any less deserving of being one of the top eight teams in the country? No, of course not. So right now, if the committee is listening, which they are not, expand the goddamn playoff right now. This year, right now, do it. Because I want to see it because there's more parity this year than we've ever seen. And I just want to see it play out finally. That's a pretty uh, bold assumption by you that the playoff committee is not listening to this podcast. Um, they probably just found out now that USC is undefeated, as a matter of fact. So um, when you see their record next week, you know, you'll, you'll see it's true. But anyways, what, what people who are against expansion are going to argue is one of the points you just made is that there's probably two teams that are clear-cut best teams in the country. And that's why you don't need a, an expanded playoff. But there's always going to be that, though. So I, yes. yeah, I agree. yeah, there's always going to be that. So by that token, we should never have elections. We should never do anything in which there is one great team. The Patriots that went 18-1 should have just won the Super Bowl. We shouldn't have even had any playoffs. Like, why would we have that ever? Yeah, I don't understand why anyone would be opposed to expanding the playoff. There has to be more money to be made. And for fuck's sake, the entertainment value, please. Please, 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 more teams. Give me a eight team, eight teams, perfect, eight team, 12 team, whatever. Give me a larger playoff. Give me these crazy matchups that we can actually see in real life. Give me, uh, you know, let's say now it's not going to happen because they're going to be on the outs or whatever, but like Liberty, what are they eight and one or something? Let's say they snuck up to like 12 before it's all said and done. Give me freaking Liberty on the road at Tennessee or Georgia around. I mean, that'd be awesome. Like I love that stuff. Yeah. It just would be great to see a different team in there, especially a team that is playing really well in late into the season, like reward their play, reward the year that they have. I know that a lot of people poo pooed on UCF, but they went undefeated. That's not easy to do. It doesn't matter what your schedule is. It's not easy to do because you're playing what 12, 13 games. You're going to have an off night. Players are going to get hurt. And so just to write it off as well, they didn't play in the SEC. So their undefeated season matters none. I think that that's crap. Reward some of these programs for finally getting in. And you never know. You could actually get something in which the one or two clear best teams in the country end up not winning it. And that's kind of the point. We have the NCAA tournament every year. Like, what the hell? Yes. What are When they play the one shining moment at the NCAA tournament, what are some of the prime little highlights they show are the upsets, man. That's what they talk about on ESPN or the Cinderella stories. Give us that in college football, please, 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 please. And like you said, if you're at UCF and you run the table, you deserve a seat at the table at the college football playoff. If you get your ass kicked by Alabama, Georgia, insert whoever, so be it. But you deserve to at least have a crack at it. So let me ask you a question. So we now are nine games into this and we have, I believe, three plus the conference championship. So we're getting very close to the end at this point. If you had an ideal playoff, what do you think it would be? Or is there a team that is that was outside coming into this week with all this chaos that you really hope makes it because you want to see them get that chance and you think they may actually have a chance to make the national title game? Oh, man, this is tough. I don't think there are any... Okay, I'm going to take this back. I was going to say, I don't think there are any outliers that maybe have a shot at it. But based on how like Oregon is playing, I think that if Oregon was able to sneak into the playoffs somehow, they could be dangerous. What I do think the playoff will be if right now today, as I think you're going to have some combination of Georgia, Ohio State, I'm going to say you're going to get Michigan also, and then TCU. TCU is going to take care of business and win the Big 12. I think that's what you're going to get. There's going to be too much chaos in the Pac-12 to, uh, to warrant that. 
And, you know, I think too, when it comes down to like looking at Oregon's resume, if Oregon, let's say Oregon wins the pack 12 and they're on the outside looking in that now all of a sudden you're going to start looking back at that week one loss where they got their brains kicked in at Georgia. And that might come back to haunt them at that point. The team that I want to see really in is TCU because they're so tough and they play really tough football. And in years past, we would have seen them as like a coastal Carolina, but they've been playing with the big boys for quite a while. And I think that they're ready. I would love to see a team like that even make the national championship game even if they make it and lose to georgia who cares tcu making the national title game would be such a great spectacle because it's so out of the ordinary people still don't associate tcu with big time college football but they've had such a great program there for so long and they're so close i just don't want to see them lose some stupid game to some stupid team like who knows and not make it they at least need to lose in their conference championship game that's all i'm asking but that's the kind of team i want to see and if it were up to me i'd love to see a playoff of all two lost teams because that means that the season was nuts and it was entertaining and that means the playoff is going to be entertaining because there's really no clear-cut team but there's always going to be a clear-cut favorite and there's nothing i can do about that except hope for as much chaos leading up to it as possible and boy did we get that it made me very happy yeah i mean i, I love chaos I, i'm a big fan i mean dynasties are fun but i'm a big fan of parody and no league or no sports league at all gives us the parody that the nfl gives us i mean i think we've talked about that ad nauseum we have but before we get into that your team the indianapolis colts has been in the news this week for literally nothing good and we all knew that this was coming but frank Reich gets fired after their performance on on sunday against the Patriots probably one of the worst football games of the weekend and yet here we are with the Colts they fire the head coach this happens a lot and normally a coach on the team gets elevated to interim head coach but then about an hour later and I think I text this to you offline and your reaction was perfect because it was everybody else's reaction who saw this they named an interim head coach and it was former offensive lineman and Super Bowl champion Jeff Saturday Jeff Saturday has not been on a sideline at all this year. He's been sitting his ass at ESPN. And I want to ask you, because the narrative around the NFL via the Brian Flores stuff and just in general with the Rooney rule has been that a lot of black coaches have not been given a fair shake in, in terms of getting head coaching positions. And you look at Eric Bieniemy, who is a Super Bowl champion, been to multiple Super Bowls and there's a lot of accolades there. Jeff Saturday getting this, well, Jeff is a great guy. This is just a slap in the face to not just blackhead coaches, but any coach that is out there who has any lick of coaching experience who could get a little bit of a shine coaching the Colts the rest of the way. But I just wanted to get your thoughts as a Colts fan of what the hell is going on with Jim Ursay in Indianapolis. Well, I, all I can envision in my mind is that Jeff Saturday, excuse me, Jim Ursay is probably sitting naked in his mansion playing one of his fancy collector's guitars, snorting a line off a stripper's ass and goes, I got it. We're going to hire Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. I mean, it, it's so preposterous. It sounds like one of these ignorant things that I would say, like I knew what I was talking about. And you'd be like, Jeff Saturday's not the coach of the Colts, but he is. And I like the guy. I loved him when he played, man. I mean, he was Peyton Manning center for a long time. The guy knows the game, I'm sure. But where, I mean, this is the most out of left field, ridiculous thing that I have ever seen in my life like the only thing that would have been more ridiculous i think is if they would have like hired pat mcafee which would have been way more entertaining than this but it just does not it makes no sense and you make a great point it is insulting to some of these guys that have put time in for years and years and years to have these types of opportunities there's no way that Jeff Saturday is going to parlay this into a real head coaching job or no even a real coaching job for that matter. Yeah, exa exactly. I don't get it. Exactly. That's my point is this seems so out of left field and just so useless. The Colts are going nowhere. It's not as if Jeff Saturday is going to come in and all of a sudden they're going to be this playoff team. Sam Ellinger was terrible. And we'll get to that later on with my stat of the week, but just absolutely awful. And to me, you have coaches on your staff for a reason. You bring these guys in. Don't you want to see what you have? I mean, we would do that with players. We did that with Sam Ellinger. We benched Matt Ryan because he's washed. So we put Ellinger in, even though we kind of know he's not the guy. So you get rid of the head coach. Fine. But why not give a coordinator the job why not give anybody literally anybody else but some guy who's been an analyst at espn I, I, i'm sorry but it just feels like the colts are all of a sudden now a terribly run organization and they have been for a while and i think that if you're andrew luck sitting at home you have to, you have to feel more and more confident that you made the right choice <laughs> i just imagine that he's watching like a game and sees the ticker scroll across the bottom 
Jeff Saturday, the interim coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and he just like cracks up laughing like hysterically in his way. I mean, he's right, but just like, oh my god, I mean, just you've got to be kidding me. Like, I can't believe it, but I believe it. But see, this is the issue in the NFL, though, because we talked a couple weeks ago about guys that are on the hot seat and these sexy young coaches coming in and getting these shots. And those guys are getting a shot because they've been a coordinator somewhere. They've been on the sideline. I didn't excuse me. I didn't necessarily think that Josh McDaniels was worthy of another shot because I think we saw it. And to me, I feel like guys just don't find it. And Josh McDaniels is terrible. The Raiders are terrible. And so I guess I don't understand why you are just saying like, well, let's get a guy because he was a cult. We're going to do this. I mean, imagine any other franchise doing that. I mean, that's something that you think Jerry Jones would do. It's like, oh, we're going to go and get Troy Aikman. Exactly. That's 100% right. And just, I, I, again, it's just so absolutely absurd. I can't, and I thought about Jerry Jones when we were talking about, like, who would do something? like Oh, this is a total Jerry Jones, like, you know, Michael Irvin, Troy Aikman, whoever. And I don't know if, like, Ursay and Saturday have a really close relationship. I'm assuming they obviously get along really well if he feels like he's some sort of like puppet where it's an extension of himself on the sideline or whatever but just to even sit here and try to rationalize it and make sense of it is is a really uncomfortable thing to do honestly but just imagine if you're jeff saturday how are you taking that phone call and saying yeah i'll do it i mean i get it they're really good friends and they have a really good relationship but you've never coached i've been approached to do jobs that i know that i'm not qualified for and i say i'm not qualified to do that to me, Jeff Saturday taking this is very look at me, Louie. That's right. I'm talking to you, Jeff Saturday. Look at me, Louie. You want to be a head coach in this league with absolutely no experience? Fuck you. So if uh, if Robert Kraft sends Belichick packet next week and then calls you and says, Iceman, we want you to come over, come over here and take over the Patriots for the rest of the season. Are you going to say, um, uh, Mr. Kraft, I'm sorry, but I'm not qualified for that. Or would you just go out there and say, hey, what the hell? Let's go. Let's have a go at it. I'm not Ryan Hacker. I'm not going to go out there and look the part and not have a damn clue what I'm doing. You can't get by without knowing what you're doing in the NFL. And honestly, if they have to hire an offensive guy who's going to call plays, like, I just don't understand this whatsoever. Like, what is Jeff Saturday going to manage? I'm actually going to tune into the Colts game this week just so I can see what an unmitigated disaster it is going to be. I saw a headline just uh, probably like two hours ago. It says, Jeff Saturday makes first decision as head coach by naming Sam Ellinger the quarterback oh, or whatever the Perfect. fucking name is. Well, and it's like not surprising though because Stafford, or not, geez, not Stafford, for fuck's sake. That'd be great. Matt Ryan is injured and so he can't really play anyway. So it's like bold move, Jeff. <laughs> like way to, I don't know, establish yourself as the leader of the franchise. I, I don't know. And like you said, if you're any other coach anywhere, and the season ends and you get called and offered that job, how do you take it? Like, how do you even take that organization seriously at this point? Isn't it sad though? Isn't it sad that that's where it's become? That the Colts who are once a proud franchise with Peyton Manning all of a sudden have turned into this. And you as a fan have just got to be either apathetic to it because you're like, well, it's been like this for years, but just look at the cavalcade of bullshit they have put out there on the field over the last five or six years. It's incredible. And nothing they have done since Andrew Luck left has actually made you think, wow, they're competent. You know, I grew up as a Cubs fan, okay? And so I've never in my life become accustomed to any um, sustained success at all. The closest I've come to that in my lifetime as a sports fan was the Peyton Manning Colts. And so I'm honestly just kind of grateful for what I got as a, as a Colts fan, as a sports fan. And yeah, it's sad to see it go down this road, but I don't, I, I don't take it really hard. I mean, I'm just happy that we got the years we got and they won a championship and got to another Super Bowl. And I got to enjoy that as a sports fan in general, but it's really, it really makes it obvious how much Peyton Manning is the person who held that whole thing together probably if it weren't for him who knows what would have come of the Colts much sooner than now and Tony Dungy you got to give him a lot of credit too I think that that's just indicative of this year and I want to tell you but I think that we love football so much that we have given a pass to how much shitty football we have actually seen this year like there has been a lot of really, really bad football. The Colts this past weekend had 121 total yards against the Patriots, which by the way, Justin Fields both outpassed them and outrushed them in passing yards, rushing yards. The Colts were absolutely terrible. Malik Willis started for the Titans against the Chiefs, 
five completions in the game. Mike Vrabel was asked after the fact, like, why did you have so many rushes for Derrick Henry? And he said, who the fuck do you think I'm going to throw to? Great Mike Vrabel quote. And then PJ Walker, who I had PJ Tucker, who I believe isn't even a person. He had nine passing yards at the half for the Panthers. Nine. And Baker Mayfield came back in. Just there's a lot of abysmal football being played. That's not even mentioning the Jags coming back on the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders, good Lord, blowing another big lead. Are we just happy that football is here and we're not willing to say that it's crap because we just want football on our screen? Well, what's crazy is even as bad as some of these teams are, and you, you just listed off right some of these terrible stats, any of these teams that we just talked about can go out next week and beat one of the top teams in the league, which is crazy, right? It's just absolutely nuts that that could happen. Now, obviously, it doesn't happen with a lot of frequency. Usually, you have the, the really good teams, really bad teams, and there's a big-ass chunk of teams that could beat each other in the middle. But I also think that football, in a way, is getting more into analytics, and I feel like it's kind of like baseball. Like, analytics sort of like, I wouldn't say ruined baseball, because I agree with analytics, but it really changed the way the game was played and made it sort of a tough thing to watch sometimes. And I think you may be seeing some of that trickling into football a little bit. Now, that doesn't explain 120. 21 total yards, five completions, and nine passing yards at the half. It doesn't, analytics, analytics would have shit to do with that. But if it, if it demonstrates anything, it's how important the quarterback position is and how hard it is to find that guy. I mean, there's probably, I mean, how many teams in the league? I'm just going to off the top of my head say maybe half the teams in the league feel really good about the guy they have behind center. Um, so if you're going to say there's 16 solid, steady, quarterbacks that you could consider a franchise quarterback in the whole league out of all the human beings on earth you know there's that few number of people who can do that job at the level it needs to be done at to lead a franchise and just to see these pathetic numbers i think is a glaring demonstration of how obvious that is i wish there was some safe way for us to be able to back our our claims up and say could we get five completions in an nfl game against an nfl defense i'd like to think yes without necessarily having them all be shovel passes but at the same time i also know that the talent is just incredible but i want to remind you of something two weeks ago we convinced ourselves that pj walker had figured some stuff out because they beat the bucks and here we are two weeks later with nine passing yards at the half boy we got had didn't we yeah, I remember saying that they were going to uh, use Matt Rule's firing as, as a catalyst to, to turn their season around. <laughs> sure, sure. We got absolutely had by the Panthers. And by the way, you weren't willing on putting them in the bottom five. And I questioned you on that. And you said, no, nah, I think they figured some things out. Boy, they played for you this week, pal. Yeah, I don't remember that. Honestly, oh, uh, luckily, there's there's no record of it out there anywhere, especially no audio, I'm sure, absolutely uh, to back up your claims in this case. But uh, yeah, it's if if it's to the point where you're like, all right, Baker, please come back in. And I've always thought he kind of got a bad rap anyways. I understand he hasn't produced when it matters, but I've always been a little bit of a Baker Mayfield fan. And so maybe that's just my subconscious rooting for the little guy. So I also saw something else this weekend that I didn't think that I would ever see. Not a Tom Brady drive that we're used to seeing a quintessential Brady drive, but him getting emotional after a game-winning drive that made them four and five. Now Brady had a, again, a very Brady drive, but it's actually even more ridiculous. 44 seconds, no timeouts, and he managed to get a touchdown with a whole bunch of nobodies against the Rams. And they're now at four and five in first place and the Rams are three and five in reeling. But it's amazing to see Brady in this fashion where he's not the issue there. He's leading the league in passing. But man, that, that team just doesn't have it. But seeing him celebrate being four and five in that way, it felt like a cathartic release. And I feel like the whole league is in trouble now. Yeah. As soon as we sit there and uh, try to start digging a hole for our friend Tom's career, he does something like, and it's happened over and over again. You know, that happened when he's with the Patriots. People are like, all right, there, the Patriots are done. Brady's done. And then he comes and pulls a rabbit out of his hat and goes on to a Super Bowl or whatever the case may be. You know, and just kind of his antics to me have almost turned into that. Uh, I see it on TikTok all the time or whatever. It's like, tell me that one thing that your whole entire personality like embodies or revolves around. Tell me that annoying thing that your whole personality is based off of. And that's like football for Tom Brady, right? I mean, like it's just his sole identity at this point is competition and competing. It's almost got to be miserable. I mean, to do what he's doing the way he's doing it. I mean, obviously he does it because it makes him maybe happy, but 
Yeah, well, you're right, though. We're probably all screwed. So I think it's a coming to a point, speaking of burying people, that I honestly think, I'm going to say it here. I'm, I'm willing to say it. I'm kind of feeling a little frisky tonight. I don't know if you can tell, but I think that we can bury Aaron Rodgers' career in Green Bay. Are you ready to do it with me? Because I'm ready to play taps for that motherfucker. Oh, man, I got my I got the shovel out in the truck, buddy. Let's do it. I'm ready to roll. You know what? Let's just I'll call down to the rental place. We'll bring in a backhoe. We'll get the big guns in here and get this thing over with. Motor City Dan Campbell is shoveling out his grave right now. And I thought that he wasn't going to survive at this point. He's probably going to get fired after Thanksgiving the same way that Matt Patricia did. But on the way out, a terrible 15 to 8 victory over the Green Bay Packers. Should the Packers bench Rodgers at this point? I, I hope that they do. I hope they do, man. I watched, I saw a lot of snippets of that game when I was watching the red zone on Sunday. And just to see the look on his face and his reaction every time something negative happened, he was just so beside himself, so pissed. It's like he would, he would throw a terrible ball. And he just, you could, he just so fucking mad. He acting like he's pissed at the receiver. It's somebody else's fault. I mean, he, what an arrogant prick. It's just, it's amazing to me because he's so helpless. It's the first time in his career he's probably thought, I can get out of this. Remember the relax year, R E L A X? He spelled that out for the media and they ended up making the playoffs. That's not Aaron Rodgers anymore. Aaron Rodgers had like 40 yards rushing, which was a big deal because he can't really do that anymore. That team is screwed. And honestly, I think if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm looking at the rest of the season. Can I dig out of this hole? And if I can't, I have to look toward my future. I might just walk away from the franchise now. You got Jordan Love out there. He's going to suck. The Packers are pretty much done. Yeah, I think so. I, I imagine he's looking back at that Jeopardy gig and kind of uh, second guessing himself. But, you know, a thought just popped into my head. You know, the Colts have dusted off a couple of uh, old shitty quarterbacks last few no. years. Aaron Rodgers did no. Indianapolis. No, I refuse. I will not. I'm not even going to cover that if it happens because the Colts need to figure their shit out. They need to get an actual young quarterback. Stop trotting out the warmed over leftovers of all these other guys. It just doesn't work. However, I want to ask you a quarterback question because... Over the weekend, we saw the Jets defeat the Bills. I will say that again for the listening audience. The Jets beat the Bills. And the Bears lost convincingly another game. Excuse me, they didn't lose convincingly. The Bears lost to the Dolphins by three points. Justin Fields had himself a day. Both of these teams seem like they have somewhat of a ceiling. The Jets obviously have a really good young core. Their draft last year was excellent. Justin Fields is very, very talented, but there's not a lot of pieces around him. But who would you rather be? Would you rather be the Jets or would you rather be the Bears? The Jets being a team that has a really good core, a lot of young guys, big question mark at quarterback, or would you rather have the guy and be able to build around him? I would rather be the Bears. Uh, it's tough to find that guy. They got the guy. And just looking at the division moving forward over the next 10 years, right? Aaron Rodgers, as we just talked about, is on his way out. The Lions are the Lions. And Kirk Cousins is not going to be a force in the NFC North for the next 10 years. Just not going to happen. And I, I would think for that reason, divisionally and what they're going to be up against every year, I would take the Bears. Now, I would probably take the Jets roster over the Bears. But as far as, you know, you got to look at that. The Jets, yeah, the Patriots have kind of fallen off some. But you got the up-and-coming Dolphins that are right there kind of battling out with the Jets. And then you got the Bills, right, in the same division. And the Bills are going to be uh, a problem here for a while. Um, so I will take the Bears. The counter-argument to that is that you have a roster but not a quarterback. So that means that you have pieces and you can allure one of these guys to come here. You've talked about Aaron Rodgers. That was the whole gig that the Broncos were trying to get, and they ended up with Russell Wilson, who now looks like a knockoff Aaron Rodgers over there. But if you're the Jets and you don't think that Zach Wilson is the guy, you actually have a lot of capital to be able to get somebody in there that maybe is the guy that isn't working out somewhere. I mean, look what happens, or look what could happen if the Ravens don't sign Lamar Jackson. New York all of a sudden is a very, very... I don't know. It seems like a good place that he might fit in there. And they've got this roster of very talented guys. So there's arguments to be made on both sides. But I think it's an interesting question because Fields is very talented, but they have nothing. It's a lot more to build around. But with the Jets, you have that core and you have a bunch of rookies that have worked out and they're winning in despite Zach Wilson being not that great. 
No, that's a good point. I guess more so my whole thought process is based off the division. And I know they just beat the Bills, but I think long-term, even if you plugged in a, an Aaron Rodgers or even a Lamar Jackson, I just think that Josh Allen and the Bills, yeah, you might beat them here and there, but I would think that the Bills are going to come out ahead 80% of the time over the next decade. And if the Dolphins keep moving in the direction they are, they're going to be tough for a while with Tua. And it's not that they're not going to be a good team, but I just think they're going to get kind of buried in a tough division a little bit that's going to make their lives a little more difficult. Imagine Josh Allen... Lamar Jackson, Tua, and then you got Mac Jones in that division. Boy, all of a sudden, Mac Jones looks not that great compared to those guys. Oh my gosh, did this just happen? No, God, you know what? I'm not even going to say it because you're going to kill me. Moving on. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. Man. I'll tell you later. Mac Jones, 100%. I mean, it, and he is, he's been disappointing in New England for sure. And um, it's kind of a shame because I really thought he was going to work out. I thought he was almost the perfect type quarterback that could come in and kind of excel in the Patriots system and the way they like to go about things. But that has not been the case. So you mentioned my boy Kirk Cousins earlier, and he had a tough time in Washington, as he always does. Did you see the ref in that game, the play that the ref made? Taylor Heineke or Taylor, whatever the hell his name is. It doesn't really matter. Taylor Heineke goes out, rolls out, throws a pass that literally no quarterback in the league should ever throw. I counted four Vikings around him. The ref ran into and took out a defensive back who was going to make an interception. And what happens is Chris Samuels catches the ball in between two other guys and doesn't get touched and rolls into the end zone. Now the Vikings ended up winning the game anyway. I'm convinced the ref had money on the game, but the Vikings are seven and one and Kirk Cousins is seven and one celebrating like an idiot in the middle of his teammates who I'm pretty sure were mocking him. Are they the least talked about seven in one team ever? Yeah, they are. And it's because there's there's really nothing like sexy about them, right? Kirk Cousins is like the suburban dad. I mean, there's just, there's not a lot about him that, that, I mean, the guy wins games. He's won a lot of football games, but there's nothing. When you watch him, you're like, wow, this guy, this is the type of guy that can change a game. This is the type of guy that puts his team on his back, on his back when the game's on the line. Like that's just not Kirk Cousins. And I'm still, I mean, they play in a, the division's dog shit. So um, that's kind of propped them up a little bit, but I, I just don't think they're going to have what it takes uh, come playoff time. I was going to ask you, you remember in 2020, the Steelers started 11 and 0, ended up finishing, I think 11 and five or something like that. And I want to ask you, are the Vikings or the Eagles more in that mold where they have a great record, but I think they're going to falter later in the later in the year. And they're not a team that you can really trust. To me, the Vikings seem to be that, not the Eagles, because I think the Eagles actually do have a lot of talent. We just haven't seen it on display against an excellent football team yet. Yeah, I agree. I think the Vikings definitely are more in that mold than the Eagles at this point. So coach, last week we did a little power rankings. We did top 10 or top five and bottom five. How do you feel about doing another one this week and trying to piss off as many fan bases as possible with maybe a little bit of a top 10? I am here for it, man. All day, every day. Anytime I get a chance to ruffle a few feathers, I get a little excited. Well, you know what, man? I'm going to let you have the honors once again and give us your NFL top 10. All right, number 10. This is kind of a curveball a little bit, but after their performance over the weekend, uh, keeping it tight with the Chiefs, I'm putting the Titans at number 10. Number nine, I have the Jets. That might be a little low, but like you said, they have some questions at quarterback, so that's where I will keep them. Number eight, the Dolphins. Number seven, the New York football Giants. And again, that might be another fraudulent claim as well. At number six, the Seattle Seahawks. And then let's get into the top five. At number five, I still have the Dallas Cowboys. Number four, the Kansas City Chiefs. At number three, the potentially fraudulent Minnesota Vikings. At number two, the unproven Philadelphia Eagles. And I still have at number one, what I believe is the best team in the NFL, the Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's a pretty solid top 10. A couple of surprises there, but that's kind of the fun of doing a little bit of a top 10. I'm trying to think of the fan bases that you pissed off. You did keep the Giants in there, but also said that might be a fraudulent claim. So I'm pretty sure half of Staten Island is going to come after you at some point. But let's get into my top 10. Number 10, I have the New York Jets. That's right, the New York Jets at, at number 10 on this list. At number nine, Pete Carroll, Geno Smith, and the Seattle Seahawks. Number eight, the five and four, Cincinnati Bengals. Number seven, Tua and the Miami Dolphins. Number six, Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, and they don't have anybody else. And my top five goes relatively unchanged. Number five, I have the Dallas Cowboys. Number four, the Minnesota Vikings. Still number three, 
the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, I still have the Kansas City Chiefs after a tough win. And number one, you're not going to knock me off the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen running roughshod over this league. We still agree on the Bills, but there's a lot of other things that I think we don't agree on. But I'm pretty sure what's going to happen is Eagles fans not having the Eagles at number one are still just going to come after us in some fashion. So we've got to be careful about ourselves. You've already been kidnapped once this year. We don't need a second one on the show's hands. Yeah, I think that uh, Philly fans are capable of much more than uh, the Nebraska Cornhusker fans are. They've got a lot more hate in their heart, and I want no part of that. But at this point, I mean, they, they haven't really done anything. They haven't beaten a team that really jumps off the page at you. Yeah, they got the Vikings at the beginning of the year, but we just talked about what we think about that team. I don't know. I, I'm sure they'll have plenty of opportunities here over the second half of the season to get a couple marquee wins and maybe change our minds. I was actually very surprised that you had the Titans in the top 10 because if Malik Willis is going to have to look like that and start any amount of football games without Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry better stay healthy because I don't think he can sustain 50 carries a game. I'm um, I'm also surprised that I had the Titans in the top 10. <laughs> You're surprised. I like that you make these lists and then you don't keep any inventory. You're like, yeah, number 10, Tennessee Titans. Wait, why did I have that in there? Just move it along. Just keep moving. Keep moving. I kind of like that you're you're flying by the seat of your pants here. It's kind of like some other podcasters we know in the podcasting space who might do that. But I want to even go further out on a limb here. And we are halfway through the season about, we're, we'll call it about halfway because I think the true halfway point of the season is like in the second quarter of these games this past weekend. There are eight divisions in football. Are you willing to make some predictions with me about who is going to win based off of where teams are right now? Absolutely, man. Uh, you want to start an NFC or AFC? We're going to start in the AFC, the AFC East. All right. In the AFC East, well-documented, Buffalo Bills uh, are going to run away with that division for sure. The AFC North. All right, AFC North. You know, and, and you had this team in your top 10. I, I'm a little remiss for not having them in my top 10. But I, ultimately, I do think that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to find a way to win that division. All right, I like it. The AFC South. Bleh. The Sisters of the Poor division. Uh, obviously, I just had the Tennessee Titans at number 10, which means I naturally, of course, have to pick them. Um to win the AFC South, despite the run that the Colts are going to go on behind the leadership of Jeff Saturday. Man, <laughs> if the Colts win this division, I'm just going to stop watching football altogether. Oh, man. The That'd be bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> the AFC West. Chiefs. Chiefs all the way. That's um, their division to lose. I think they that division has been very disappointing. I thought that was going to be a pretty tough division going into this year. And... Um, I do think the Chargers, Chargers are kind of getting their shit together a little bit, but the Broncos and Raiders are so terrible. Uh, Chiefs, though, that's their division. Have you ever felt less confident about a 5-3 and three team halfway through the season as you have about the Chargers? You know, honestly, I'm a little higher on the Chargers than most people just because I think that they're really good at the quarterback position. Justin, a.k.a. Jake Herbert. I do think they're very talented there, which always gives you a chance to win games in this league. I think maybe Brandon Staley's just got to figure a few things out, but I hope he gets a chance too, because I think he could be really successful, but he, I mean, he's literally coaching for his job this year too. You want to hear a crazy stat? I'm looking at the standings right here. Point differential. The Chargers actually have a negative 22 point differential, and then I'm scanning through the rest of the divisions here. Do you know that only one team in the AFC South has a positive point differential? And do you know what team that is? Is it the Jags? It is the Jags. 21 points. The rest of the division is negative point differential. And just like that, the Miami Dolphins are the only team in the AFC East with a negative point differential, and they're 6-3. and three. So maybe point differential doesn't matter one bit. It must not, man. I mean, because there's these flute games where you go out and you just get blown out by a team or blow a team out i mean here and there it's just so as much parody as there is there's also so much randomness in the nfl sometimes except for the bills having a plus 102 point differential this year that is not random that is just absolute talent okay let's move to the nfc east oh boy NFC East, I, I think that right now, I mean, you can't not pick the Eagles. You know, they're 8-0. They're, there's nothing. They've shown nothing for me to pick against them in this case in that division. The Commanders are, are completely out of the running. We agree that the Giants have a lot to prove yet. And the Cowboys will find a way to fuck this up. They always do. Okay, the NFC North, which there's only one team that you could name here, right? Yeah, it's the Vikings all day. I mean, this division's maybe on par with uh, how bad the AFC South is possibly. But no, definitely the Vikings, 7-1 uh, and one right now. They've got a stranglehold on the North. 
somehow the Lions could finish in second place in this division based off of how everything is rolling. Okay, the actual worst division in football, the NFC South. I, I do think that we might have a situation we've seen a couple times in the past where you have a team that wins a division with a sub 500 or yeah, wins a division, makes the playoffs with a sub 500 record. And in this case, I think that team is going to be uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That entire division has a negative point differential. And I think that point differential matters there because that is a terrible terrible division thursday night football this week panthers and falcons somebody kill me oh my gosh that, that yeah the how how many hundreds of people are going to tune in to watch that just absolute slop okay last the nfc west you know what's crazy about this division is i i've seen several pundits that are really really high on the 49ers but also i've heard a lot of people say over and over again over the years that you are what your record says you are and right now the 49ers are four and four and the Seahawks are six and three. The question is, is can Geno Smith sustain the level that he's playing at right now? And can the Seahawks continue down the path they're on? It's yet to be determined, but today, right now, um, I have to pick the Seahawks. The thing that's crazy that I was thinking about earlier is Geno Smith is one of those guys that we felt like we knew enough about him. We felt like we had a sample size. He never got a starting gig, but through nine games, he's been excellent. A lot of times you get these guys who find it for a few games like Cooper Rush this year, but over the course of his full season, they never quite figure it out. Is it possible that Geno Smith just was this talented? I mean, nine games is not really a fluke. Can you be fluky for nine games? I feel like he is talented in the way that they're running this team and another team team that drafted absolutely excellently I feel like Geno Smith is a lot more talented than people actually ever realize he just never really got the chance to prove it yeah and sometimes it could just be a matter of getting put in the right system with the right offensive coordinator that understands um, your strengths and how to use the personnel that's around you um, as much as we think that all offensive coordinators should be capable of doing that I don't know if that's always the case offensive coordinators or coaches in general a lot of times have really big egos and they think that they they have all the answers and maybe Maybe aren't as willing to kind of open their mind and say, well, instead of doing what I want, let's do what fits best with this person's skill set and what we have around them. And that I think is what's happening right now in Seattle. Now, maybe it's just a coincidence that the coordinator's personal philosophies fit with Geno Smith's skill set. Uh, but either way, it's working. And like you said, I don't think at this point we can consider it a fluke. No, and I think that I owe Pete Carroll an apology because I thought that he was done. I said in the offseason offline that he should just retire and get out of the game of football. And he has that team six and three in a division that everybody said was going to be one of the best in football. You got to give the guy his flowers. He's an excellent head coach, no matter what he did at USC and left those kids high and dry, left that program high and dry. He's been an excellent head coach with Seattle, a Super Bowl winner. And you really can't argue with that. That's how it means it is time for crunch time where coach and I go back and forth, right a tat tat through 10 games on the slate. Coach, are you ready? Absolutely, Iceman. Let's fire it up. All right, starting now. Number nine, Alabama traveling to number 11, Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin finally going to get the chance to beat Nick Saban. I actually like Kiffin and the boys here. Give me the Rebs. My heart takes the Rebs, but I think that Saban whips the fellas in the, uh, in the shape this week. Roll Tide. <laughs> Newly minted number 25 Washington Huskies travel to number six Oregon for a playoff berth, possibly on the line if Oregon loses. Houghton is a really, really tough place to play. I know Washington has kind of been up and down. Give me Bo Nix and those ducks. Quack, quack. Yes, rooting for chaos here, of course, which would be Washington taking out Oregon, but I think the ducks are too talented. Give me Oregon. <laughs> The number four, TCU Horn Frogs, traveling to Austin, Texas, to face the number 18 Texas Longhorns, who have been yo-yoing in and out of the top 25. I don't trust Texas at all. TCU has way too much to lose here. Give me the frogs. I agree. Horns down this week. Give me the frogs all day. <laughs> In a battle of two teams we have never talked about in this show, number 22, UCF travels to number 17. Is that real? Tulane, what are they, the Waves, I think? I don't know anything about these teams. I just know that UCF is really good and they have been really well coached. But you know what? Give me Tulane because I don't know anything about them. I'm with you, Matty Ice. Tulane's pretty talented, man. They've, they've had some teams that have been pretty competitive here in the last few years. I will take, I believe it is the Green Wave. <laughs> 
Number seven, Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers traveling to Arkansas, who is unranked. Maybe it seems like that's not a big deal, but LSU coming off that big win where that kid stole the pylon in the end zone. It's a trap game, but you know what? Good coaches win big games. Give me Brian Kelly and the Tigers. I agree. Go G-A-A-U-X, however they spell it down there, Tigers. Switching to the NFL, the Seahawks travel to Tampa to face Tom Brady and the Bucks, who need a win to get back to 500. Tom Brady, I don't think, has really found anything. They had a miracle drive. Give me Pete Carroll and the Seahawks on the road. I'm going to take the Bucks and to use a quote from my man, Brian Kelly, last week, October is for pretenders. November is for contenders, and that's why I'm taking the Bucks. <laughs> The Minnesota Vikings traveling to Orchard Park to face our number one Buffalo Bills. There is absolutely no way, even though this is not a primetime game, that Josh Allen loses this game and Kirk Cousins win this game. Give me the Bills all day long. I 100% agree. Right now, this is the week that the Vikings get exposed for who they really are. I will take the Bills. The Dallas Cowboys travel to Lambeau Field to face their nemesis, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Green Bay Packers are reeling, but the Cowboys always seem to find a way to, as Coach said, fuck it up, give me Rodgers in a get-right game. This is like having to pick the lesser of two evils, but I will take the Cowboys to just, I hope they make Aaron Rodgers the most miserable man on the planet. I think it happens. Give me Dallas. <laughs> The Cardinals travel to Los Angeles to face the Rams. Somehow the Cardinals are always in crunch time. They need a big win. The Rams need a big win. Both of these teams are completely listless. Give me McVay and the Super Bowl champions. No, I agree. Give me McVay and the champs. I think that, again, Cliff Kingsbury is, is hanging by a thread. And at this point, they just need to put him out of his misery. And the last game of two teams that everybody's high on, but I'm not really sure why. The Chargers travel to San Francisco to face Jimmy G and the 49ers. I honestly think that the 49ers are kind of fraudulent, although the Chargers are a little bit weird. I'm going to take the home team. Give me the 49ers. I think the Chargers uh, continue their winning ways this week and get on track to make a playoff run. Give me the Chargers. <laughs> All right, and that is another week and another crunch time. It is my favorite time of the show, and I know that Coach agrees. And you know what? We still have a little bit more to get to before we get to the end of this episode. sound means it is time for OTW, which starts off with Iceman's stat of the week. And I don't even have notes for this one because it's just too damn good. Earlier, we talked about Sam Ellinger and the Colts. Well, Sam Ellinger was 15 of 29 for 103 yards in the game against the Patriots. He was also sacked nine times, losing 60 yards. If you account for his sack yards, he had 29 attempts for 43 yards, which is 1.4 yards per attempt. That is horrible. That's absolutely terrible. Thank God they brought in expert coach Jeff Saturday to get the ship righted in Indianapolis. My friends, it is time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Last week, took a huge L with Rutgers up at halftime, getting absolutely blown out in the second half. Coach is now 2-4-2, two, and two, that record looking worse and worse by the week. Coach, please gift us your Pick of the Week. Hear ye, hear ye. Time to get back to my winning ways. I know you all come here for the most reliable picks, and you are at the right place. I'm tired, though, of the underdogs. I cast them aside, and this week, I look for the Clemson Tigers to take out their frustrations at home against the Louisville Cardinals. They are a seven-point favorite, and I think they more than cover the spread. Give me Clemson. The Clemson Tigers plus seven to cover over the Louisville Cardinals. So let it be written. So let it be done. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that means we have reached the end of the episode once again. An hour completely flies by. Coach, do you have any parting thoughts for Ice Time Nation? Ice Time Nation, as always, it is a pleasure to share this hour with you every week. I encourage you, especially you aspiring young coaches, to tune in to the Indianapolis Colts this weekend and learn a thing or two from our expert friend, Mr. Saturday. And there's some great, a couple great college football games on tap that should clear some things up playoff wise i agree it's going to be fun to watch that debacle that is going to be jeff saturday which means colts are going to win by like 26 points and they're going to be a playoff team inexplicably winning the afc south i mean at this point football is football and anything is possible but before we get you out of here please support the pub time podcast where you can find brad in his other form they're always doing fun stuff you've moved on from serial killers you're just doing your regular pub time shit and of course visit mattysmedia.com to support the other podcasts that we have including a show called political football which is a weekly live stream on YouTube. Brad, it's been a wonderful, wonderful week. Ice Time Nation, thanks for tuning in. Next week, we will see you. This is Iceman and Coach. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.